The paranoid spokesman sees the fate of conspiracy in apocalyptic terms. He traffics in the birth and death of whole worlds, whole political orders, whole systems of human values. He is always manning the barricades of civilization. He constantly lives at a turning point. As a member of the avant-garde who is capable of perceiving the conspiracy before it is fully obvious, the paranoid is a militant leader. He does not see social conflict as something to be mediated and compromised, since what is at stake is always a conflict between absolute good and absolute evil. What is necessary is not compromise, but the will to fight things out until we embrace the void. The universe is a cruel, uncaring void. The key to being happy isn't to search for meaning, it's to just keep yourself busy with unimportant nonsense, and eventually, you'll be dead. Stop fighting it. You're gonna be okay. Face the void. Call it a one-way vacation to the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. episode 160 of embrace the void where we return from the pit with some freshly carved tablets i am your host aaron and this week we're covering conspiracy theories which may become a theme for the next month or maybe forever so let's draw back the curtain and make with some hidden truths all life ends in death which we as a species are cursed with knowing resulting in something my guest this week is Matthew Brown, professor of psychology at Central Queensland University in Australia and co-host of the new Decoding the Gurus podcast. Matt, would you like to say hi to the void? Oh, g'day, Aaron. It's good to be here. Um, I'm not sure if I'll say hello to the void because the void might start talking back and then I'd be in trouble. So It's better to open relations early. It only gets worse if you hold off on communication until later. <laughs> Just give into it now. Okay, okay. Hello, void. <laughs> no, I'm very excited to have you on. We've had a bunch of interactions on Twitter, and it's going to be confusing for me to call you Matt because I'm so used to thinking of you as the uh, plucky lead character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> that you portray on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really excited to chat, and we're going to talk primarily about some research and work that you've done in the area of anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theories. But I wanted to give you a chance first maybe to give folks a sense of like your academic background a little bit and where you fall on the like great political compass meme of life. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, but I think we should talk about uh, my um, Arthur Dent persona on Twitter first. Um, okay. Um, if that's core <laughs> you to your describe- identity, then you, you lead with that. <laughs> Yes, my secret identity. I've been called the worst anonymous account on Twitter, and I'm okay with that. There's <laughs> no way that you're uh, worse than the squirrel. That's not possible. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I like Arthur Dent, the character. I don't think he's very plucky, though. I think he, he's confused and a bit grouchy and basically wants to go back to bed and have a cup of tea. Isn't that the British version of plucky? Isn't that as, like, as close as they get towards plucky? 
it, it could be that's a bit of a slur on english people perhaps but i think you're <laughs> kind of right yeah um <laughs> absolutely so yeah in in real life i'm um yeah i'm currently a professor in psychology at uh, central queensland university i've had a long and checkered academic career i started off um in neuro science and but then sort of moved into artificial intelligence um i worked um, at the uh, institute for autonomous systems uh within the fraunhofer gesellschaft in in japan and then came back to australia and um worked at um, the csiro mathematical and information sciences division uh, mm -hmm. before a little bit of time in industry and then coming back to psychology and mm -hmm. um, doing a bit of teaching and and now sort of almost full-time research i suppose most of our funding um, that kind of pays the bills and prevents me from having to do too much teaching uh, comes from um, uh, research on addiction and addictive products, particularly gambling. Mm. But, you know, um, I've got this sort of sort of side hustle, I suppose, in stuff that I find really interesting, which is basically how people form beliefs, particularly strange beliefs. Or a chap called uh, Gordon Pennycook has described them as um, epistemically suspect uh, beliefs which oh you mean this I... isn't going to be a story about how we form beliefs really well and we're great at it <laughs> no you, you you know what you philosophers are always talking about with deduction and induction and things like that guess what people don't do that <laughs> we don't actually think they do it either we just think that they should maybe consider possibly aspiring <laughs> to try to do it at some point uh, there we agree definitely agree on that yeah so yeah, I love I love the phrase epistemically suspect. It's a good euphemism. Yes, that is very good. Yeah. Um, so look, that includes stuff like um, uh, religious beliefs, uh, certain kinds of spiritual beliefs, um, the paranormal, um, alternative medicines, various kinds of conspiracy theories, and of course, anti-vaxxers. Do you worry about the somewhat loaded language, the tone, the tone of of suspect, as a way to describe the things you just described? Yeah, it's very it's very hard to avoid. You know, psychologists. In, well, in psychology, there's a tradition where we where we generally don't we try not to judge. We uh, like e even with the various types of mental illnesses or uh, mental problems. You know, we 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 generally only we, we we try to define them only as a problem if they're causing you a problem, if you like, in your life. So yeah, you're right. It, uh, pro it is a bit of a pejorative, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult to um talk talk about uh, a certain class of beliefs which which do appear to have these common features and are not really how to put it diplomatically don't really align with an, a naturalistic um, or materialistic view of the world yeah, are, are implausible based on our current understanding of reality that's a good way to put it yeah Sure. And I'm, it's interesting, you, you sort of just dropped casually in there that you did a little bit of work on AI when maybe thought you weren't going to, you know, bait me into uh, talking about that, but I absolutely will. Um, why did you go, why did you sort of stop doing AI? Was it just you figured it was an unsolvable problem and maybe you'd go work on a different unsolvable problem? Or was it just didn't, it became less interesting to you and you wanted to shift focus or? Yeah, the, the answer to that question probably says more about um, how immature I was. I, I did my um, PhD when I was quite young and I really treated these postdoctoral positions as um, a way to travel about and avoid getting a real job. So <laughs> I, I don't think I was taking it particularly seriously. Um, we, at, at the time, so we're working in mobile robotics and um, an Iranian colleague and I, we actually, we came across some papers by a guy called Lekun who mm -hmm. um, 
had been writing about these um, convolutional neural networks with with mm -hmm. many um, quite a few more layers. So we we thought that sounded pretty interesting. And at that time, um, artificial neural networks were completely unfashionable. Um, hmm. Pretty much everyone had agreed that they provided no real benefit over other kinds of machine learning or statistical um, uh, pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. That that bet went well. That that really yeah out. yeah. I, you can kind of see where this is going. I think so. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, uh -huh. we, so we actually did a little bit of work with these. We 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 wrote the C code ourselves, and it, it all worked really well. Wrote a few papers, and then I came back to I got bored and gave that up. Came back to Australia, mainly homesick actually. And um, and forgot all about it. And then then a few years later, um, <laughs> I hear I hear about the revolution in, in deep learning. Uh, that uh, so yeah, we really um, really missed the boat on that one. Well, you, you you saw the boat and you sort of had a sense the boat existed, and then you moved on to other boats. That's you know it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so uh, no 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 deep reason reason for that. I just um, I just got homesick and wanted to come back to Australia and. Got a got a different job, I suppose. So. Yeah, and, and to be fair, epistemically suspect is on par, I think, with AI for existential risks. So it's not like you've downgraded too much in the severity of what you're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think on, on a very practical level too. Like psychology is um, a fun thing to do. It's a fun thing to research. Not not just the the body of knowledge that you're contributing to, but the actual process of doing it is 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 good fun. Um, and um, even though AI is just absolutely fascinating and interesting, the actual practice of doing it involves just debugging and writing reams of code and just sitting there in front of a computer. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's not a particularly fun job. So I'll, I'll leave it to, to younger and more enthusiastic people. <laughs> That's fair. My version of doing uh, AI philosophy is just standing around reminding everyone that we're never going to know if they're actually sentient or not. That's pretty much... As, as I go into the, I'm not going to do any of that coding stuff. It's just not going to happen. Well, no, no, that's that's a completely fair. But you're a philosopher. You're probably um, uncertain as to whether or not I'm I'm sentient. So um, yeah, you're very I mean, skeptical people. I would bet on you a lot faster than I bet on the AI currently. But like 20 years down the road, I'd like bet on you probably. You know, I'd toss a coin or something. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. We don't want to place That's down fair. any hard bets. It could go very quickly or very slowly. Anyway, let's talk about the vaxxers. Mm. So you have done this work on, on anti-vaxxers and the epistemically suspect belief formation. Now, do you think it's fair to describe anti-vaxxerism as a kind of conspiracy theory? Well, I'd probably put it this way. I'd say that conspiratorial ideation, which is that kind of process of reasoning that that plays a big role in conspiracy theories i'd say that it has a big part in rationalizing the worldview of anti-vaxxers so yeah so so being an anti-vaxxer is just literally being against vaccines or skeptical of vaccines or someone um but the the conspiracy theories come into play when um one sets about rationalizing that worldview and and justifying um a certain set of opinions Mm -hmm. um, that don't accord with, um, you know, the consensus knowledge on the subject. Okay. What do you, what do you, I'm curious, find particularly compelling about the sort of studying of these conspiracy theories like anti-vaxxerism? Oh, look, I think psychologists get really excited when, when we think we see commonalities between multiple 
things that seem on the surface to be very different, but and, and um, but there's these sort of underlying themes that we see repeated. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned um, religions. I, I think I mentioned alternative health, um, sort of um, alternative medicine, and all these other types of um, beliefs. For instance, about um, GMOs mm-hmm. um, contaminating everything, um, about um, um, evolution being a completely made-up theory, you know, um, global warming being a um, a conspiracy among uh, scientists to attract more research funding. I mean, when when you can identify some underlying um, dynamics that mm-hmm. support a wide range of fallacious reasoning, then that's just always going to be very interesting. So, so I think anti-vaccination is um, yeah, it's it's a useful case study because mm-hmm. um, uh, assuming one isn't an anti-vaxxer, <laughs> then then it's pretty easy for us to sort of step outside that and 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 see what's going on. Um, we might find it a bit more difficult to um, to the, the, there are conspiracy theories which are more subtle, I suppose, and more contentious, mm-hmm. um, which might make it more difficult for us to kind of um, see what's going on. So what are the replicating features, the things that you consistently see that you feel like are particularly salient when trying to understand the, the uh, these epistemically suspect belief systems? Yeah, I think um, I think it's probably... Okay, so I might take anti-vaxxers as a case study first and talk mm-hmm. about them specifically and then sure. talk about how it generalizes, yeah. So um, the, the first um, hint is um, this these strong links between uh, anti-vax beliefs and alternative medicine beliefs. There's a very strong correlation um, in terms of those attitudes um, between people and mm. um, qualitative researchers who've looked at, say, um, um, material on the internet see a lot of alternative medicine, um, natural health type ideas featuring on anti-vax websites. So there's a worldview at play there, which is associated with um, purity um, and um, getting back to nature, um, you know, th- this idea of sort of spiritual, um, natural energies and keeping the body in balance and, and, and being, yeah, in, um, in, in harmony with the natural world. So this kind of romantic view of the world, which is kind of um, opposed to this, um, you know, scientific um, medical um, interference in, in natural systems, if you like. So, yeah, yeah and, I'm really, and I'm curious to talk about the purity issue because I think that's um, really that's something that is interesting to me here. Let me first ask you this just to get a, get a sense of things. Do you think that there's a purity element involved, for example, as well when you see anti-vaxxer sentiment in um, Hasidic, ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities? Yeah, so the connection with religiosity um, and many conspiracies are very interesting um to to actually give a different example um i had a bad habit of um stalking the flat earth uh, facebook forums for a while mm-hmm. and um it's there. really quite yeah um it's really quite striking how the vast majority of um flat earthers are young earth creationists um so religiosity has definitely mm-hmm. got a got a place there um I, I, it can have a place um, in. I have seen religious themes in in anti-vax as well, but I, mm-hmm. it's probably yeah. And and so it's 
so it's a complex picture. Um, the, the, the sociological features of anti-vax is different from country to country. For mm -hmm. instance, in, in, um, in Australia, we, we see a greater influence of this kind of, um, um, I guess, um, hippie kind of alternative medicine, sort of, you know, natural energy type theme. Whereas in the United States, where you're, you're a much more religious country than we are, um, there's a much stronger influence of um, that sort of religious and also libertarian type of anti-authority thinking. Uh -huh. Yeah, and it seems to me that this is kind of, you know, a horseshoe kind of scenario where when I think about this stuff and I teach it in class, I reference um, in relation to Jonathan Haidt's uh, moral foundations theories where he talks about, you know, the different foundations by which people sort of assess moral judgments like uh, harm and fairness. And, and one of the ones he talks about is purity. And I think he traditionally associates purity, especially in the moral sense, with a kind of religious purity and, and then thereby associates it primarily with a right wing kind of approach or more conservative approach to uh, ethics and values. Um, but I also think that there is a sort of very virulent sort of kind of through line of left wing sort of naturalist purity that sometimes I think does have a very moral element to it if you look at like eco-terrorist kind of approaches or uh, things like that. And so um, it seems to me that there is a, uh, a, a way in which both sides are, are attached to the specific idea of purity that makes them resistant to this kind of technology. Do you feel like there is a, an overlap there? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think it takes different forms, of course. Um, so um, on the left, it's it's kind of more of a spiritual purity. Mm -hmm. um, it probably is a more correct way to think about it. So um, actually, a, a PhD student of mine has just finished um, um, an experiment where we, where we um, focus specifically on these ideas of purity. Now, it's true we didn't focus on the sort of spiritual or moral aspects. Um, uh, but with respect to anti-vax um, 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 sentiments, we we primed people with various with uh, a large number of images um, mm -hmm. in, interspersed with controls, which which showed basically images of biological contamination, um, artificial chemicals and processes, and physical trauma, and then and then um, and and other people got um, control images, and afterwards we um, uh, just asked some very sort of um, you know, general questions about how they felt about. Uh, vaccinations and um, sure, sure enough, being primed with with the um, images of uh, various kinds of um, um, contamination, really impure images would be the, would be the way to just uh, describe them. Um, it definitely um, had a measurable effect on on, um, on people's attitudes. In terms of that sort of um, link to the the, the, the the moral aspects, there. view in the culture that's um, associated with natural health and alternative medicine, which is very strongly um, um, against vaccinations, there, there really is a, a sense of, of a, a real aim to achieve a kind of personal purity. And I, I think it does, it does straddle the, the, the it, it's not just about physical health, it's about wellness and spiritual growth. And so I, you know, if, if you look at um, Gwyneth Paltrow's um, goop, website <laughs> you get a bit of a it's sense of what must. i'm talking about yes <laughs> yes I, I totally get what you're talking about so i'm curious uh, besides the the purity element are there other things that you think we can 
generalize out from this this particular anti-vaxxer case yeah um okay so i think so the, the thing to appreciate i guess about conspiracy theories is that they have a functional role um mm-hmm. they don't you can technically have a conspiracy theory about everything and they are hugely diverse there probably is a conspiracy theory about everything but the ones that really get traction um are the ones that are uh a uh, functional um psychologically um so if we think about um vaccinations um we can see the sort of um the psychosocial and sociological things that are going on that mm. um basically cause all of us not just anti-vaxxers like none of us sort of feel intuitively uh, attracted to vaccination or, or any kind of conventional medicine it doesn't i'm um, going to a hospital and you know putting on the gown and getting getting treated like a slab of meat by a doctor doesn't fulfill any of our psychosocial needs mm-hmm. um so so there's this intuitive way in which vaccines and orthodox medical treatments generally are just intuitively unappealing um they they do involve they often involve some kind of um, physical tra- trauma whether it's a, a needle or a or a scalpel um we are having um um it, it is involving technology and these artificial chemicals and processes which we we just um um uh, are not naturally attracted to um mm-hmm. and the the alternative worldview the one that involves promoting our natural energies and uh, being in harmony with nature and strengthening our immune systems and so on is is just one that is fundamentally more attractive so most of us don't go that extra step of actually building up a a, a rationalization building up a a rationalizing theory which kind of i guess justifies and allows us to completely reject the things that don't fit our intuitions yeah and there's something that you're just talking about that made me think about Traditionally, I feel like when people, you know, characterize these groups, they're characterized. One key cat, one key feature is like a rejection of experts or expertise, which mm. I think is is sort of true and false in the sense that they do reject one set of experts, but they almost always, it seems like, replace them with a different set of experts who claim to be, you know, providing a, a more esoteric, often more secret and valuable kind of knowledge that undercuts the general knowledge and so it, it seems to me that they're you know like often people when, when they sell stuff like goop they're like you know we're throwing off the shackles of oppressive expertise and thinking for ourselves but rarely is that like the way it's working for actual individuals involved in these groups do you do you feel like that's that's true or how do you how do you see their approach to expertise as being different from people not in these uh sort of ideologically captured communities yeah, look, I, I think you're right about that um, that that um, irony there, where there's this um, very critical lens um, cast on the um, the sort of um, orthodox, conventional, um, um, authority-driven worldview. So they're extremely critical there. They'll do a great deal of research and gather the evidence, and and um, uh, seem to be going through the motions at least of critical thinking. But when it comes to some random piece of information their friend has shared on Facebook, they'll that conforms with the world their worldview, they will accept it completely uncritically. So, so there's a lot of irony there, and of course we're, we're all a bit susceptible to that, aren't we? We, we all um, sure. tend to be a little bit less critical of evidence that is supportive of where we were coming from originally. 
Um, so you, I yeah, think the other degrees, as- perhaps. It is a matter of degree, yeah. Um, so the other aspect of your comment there was about the that um, that resistance to, I guess, orthodox um, author- authoritative sources of information. And so the other aspect of um, your comment is that um, skepticism towards authority figures. Um, and that speaks to this um, theme, which you see in a lot of conspiracy theories, which is uh, a kind of anti-communitarianism or mm-hmm. anti-authoritarianism. Um, so, you know, it's no coincidence that the sort of libertarian or um, uh, sectors of, of the community do tend to be more um, conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a good example of that is people on the political right, you know, sure. are, are the ones who, who don't want to wear a mask, you know, and are, are very proud of the fact that they're the only person in the crowd who's, who's not wearing a mask. And um, they, this is something that's, um, there's something appealing to them in being a, not one of the sheep that's going along um, with um, the official instructions. Yeah. Um, but the other aspect too, sorry, my final point yeah, there is, no, it is about, it is kind of that, that sort of um, folk epistemics, I suppose, which is, um, you know, it's a matter of deciding who one trusts. Um, so one of the interesting things that you'll see on a, um, um, a lot of anti-vax Facebook groups is um, talking about um, mummy intuition. Have you, have you heard that phrase, Aaron? Is this like a, like mummy, like um, classic horror or like mummy, like your dearest <laughs> As in- mummy? Yeah, definitely, mother, mother, mummy. Yeah, so mummy intuition is is, um, is is a theme that comes up a fair bit, which is about how uh, the idea behind this is that the the sort of personal intuitions and lived experience of the mother and the special relationship with the child gives gives her a, an intrinsically better source of knowledge about what's best for the child than uh-huh. than just so yeah. So it's very much an in principle kind of. Um, 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 argument that that there is that that sort of personal um, mm-hmm. um infallibility um, experience. Kind of argument yeah that's right there's this experiential kind of um source of knowledge there which is intrinsically superior to you know an abstract body of facts and figures which which doesn't take into account the, the special needs of your child it's very interesting and, and it seems like dovetails with a lot of other types of behavior that we haven't talked about yet but i think we can tie in here some but first you mentioned covid and i'm curious do you see in like covid denialism for example uh the, you know the people who are doing the conspiracies about how covid is made up or was released deliberately or you know as a plan to get you know microchips into people and such like that do you feel that there's a fair amount of overlap between I guess both the actual communities of people who are believing those things in anti-vaxxer and also a philosophical overlap going on there. Yeah. Uh, yes. To both of those. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's in many cases, literally the same people. Um, mm-hmm. The, the um, COVID conspiracies are, are really just uh, an elaboration of um, a bunch of existing conspiracies that already existed with regards to things like 5g um, you know, uh, microchips your, your and QAnon cluster of conspiracy <laughs> theories, right? Yeah, exactly. So you know, they they just re- they do recycle um, tropes, basically. Um, so yeah, look, it, it really is the same the same thing. So there's very I haven't at least I haven't seen anything really new in the COVID conspiracies. It seems a straightforward extension. 
So I'm curious then, practically speaking, and maybe we can we can generalize a little more after that. Uh, what do you see as the implications of this kind of stuff that you've looked at for our world in the next eight to 12 months as they attempt to try to roll out a vaccine? Do you feel like, um, you know, these groups are just going to have an allergic reaction to any kind of vaccine at this point? Uh, they certainly will. Um, there's, um, there's always a spectrum of commitment. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there'll, there will be the, um, most committed who will not take uh, this vaccine or any other vaccine. Um, they'll, they'll continue, um, um posting QAnon stuff about, um, uh, Pizzagate and Epstein or, or whatever. Um, but you know, whether or not that's a major problem, um, is another matter. It, uh, it you know, as I'm sure you know, vaccinations don't require a hundred percent take up to be effective. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, hopefully, um, you know, if, if it's restricted to a small enough percentage of people, then, um, it will basically be fine. Well, so that was interesting because as I was doing a little bit of research, I, I came across an article that was recently published in Nature. And from what I understand from listening to the first episode of your podcast, being published in Nature is a rather challenging activity. So <laughs> yes. this is an article that is describing the arrangement of vax or pro-vax versus anti-vax groups online. And I think roughly what they found was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or not, roughly what they found it seemed like was um, there are the the anti-vaxxer groups are less populated individually but there's more of them and they're pretty well sort of spread out though it may also be the case that the pro-vaxxer ones interact more with moderate groups more is that um similar to what you've looked at or how do you feel about that stuff yeah um no i haven't read that particular paper but um mm -hmm. yeah look it's true that the um yeah they they do tend to form closed communities that um that mm -hmm. um, refer to each other and basically exclude all of the um, more orthodox sources of information. So, um, yeah, that that picture sounds sounds broadly right. But there's been some very good work on looking at the um, the themes that crop up on the internet in terms of anti-vaccination and the themes that come through. As I mentioned, with um, the alternative medicine and the purity, um, mm -hmm. the civil liberties, um, various various sort of associated. Um, conspiracy theories like experimenting on children and um, you know attempts to control people's brains or something like that um, and also that um, those themes of morality um, religion mm -hmm. um, yeah so that sounds consistent you mentioned that they're most they're mo mostly insular groups um, now my understanding is part of the way they recruit is a little bit via groups that appear on their surface to not be any vaxxers so like uh, parents for autism kinds of groups that when you find when you actually click through you find out that a lot of what they're suggesting is that like the autism is tied to vaccinations or something like that um, do you personally worry about those sorts of on-ramp uh, internet situations and um, do you track do you follow those kinds of things at all in your research or are you interested in sort of trying to figure out how those impact people's you know gaining access to these different conspiracy theories yeah, so um, we don't we don't do that ourselves, but I'm certainly aware of those um, those on ramps, as you say. Um, so they definitely do recruit among um, mothers groups of one kind or another, mm -hmm. which um, which are you know perfectly legitimate and, and um, um, groups and, um, and and very very popular. But you know, just as a group, obviously, um, 
the mothers of young children are often, um, you know, they often share a lot of information and tips and tricks and so on. And they are of, of any sort of demographic, they're probably, I guess, more prone to anxiety um, about the you know, health and well-being of their child, naturally. Um, so that is the way in which they can recruit new members. And mm-hmm. um, just by sharing, you know, essentially sharing fake news of various mm-hmm. kinds, mm-hmm. it can trigger perhaps the anxieties of a, of a, um, a new mother, often, typically. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there are, I'm sure, I'm sure there, are father, there are fathers in these groups too, of course. But um, um, and then that can that can start the slope of you know greater and greater engagement with the material, um, and just um, essentially, yeah, developing that epistemically closed kind of mindset in which um, that becomes the reality. So, you know, I mean, you can, you can see the attraction of so an anti-vax. Um, conspiracy theories are a good model for for other kinds of of conspiracy theories that are flowing that are floating around out there and help can help you understand what's going on with all of them I think in terms of how they address our psychological needs they they provide this grand narrative to help us make sense of what's otherwise a, a confusing and um, you know stress inducing um, world do you have, do you have um, specific ones in mind uh, based on, uh, in terms of conspiracy theories, yeah, in terms of um, other ones that are out there that we can gain and we can gain insights about by comparing them to anti-vaxxers. Oh, okay. Um, so, for instance, um, getting a little bit historical, the um, um, anti-communist conspiracy theories during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. this this is a bit of a political dimension there, but I mean, this was a, an interesting one because it's very much a broad scale. It was an orthodox conspiracy theory, if you like, <laughs> it, um, um, and. Um, the satanic panic back in the 80s um, sure. is another interesting case. So certainly notions of morality and purity <laughs> featured featured strongly there. Um, but yeah, look, there's such a huge variety of them. We mentioned the, the, the Pizzagate and the Epstein, the various the various QAnon conspiracy theories. Um, but in, in general, they tend to contrast the, the forces of light against darkness. You know, the, mm-hmm. the good-hearted people who love who love freedom and and, and justice versus these um, oppressive and malevolent systems that are are trying to um, exert power over people and control the world. So they have a Manichaean kind <laughs> of aspect. <of> it. <laughs> well, the way you describe it, it's impossible, I think, probably for large portions of our audience to not be thinking about the culture wars that we've been covering so much uh, this past summer. Um, I'm curious how this stuff impacts your approach or appraisal of you know the woke anti-woke social justice culture wars yeah yeah so that's something you know like um i'm i'm terminally online so i'm very much aware of it as well i dip into it occasionally um however as i said i'm you know i, I have opinions about that but I, I feel much less sure of my facts than when i'm talking about something i actually know about but with that caveat um i, I look i think it's fair to say that we're we're very good at spotting that kind of um, conspiratorial ideation or that kind of closed-minded thinking when it's on the other side of the aisle. So, mm-hmm. so it's very easy for, for you and me to sit here and go, look at these crazy QAnon people, how mm-hmm. mad are they? And we can nod our heads wisely and pat ourselves on the back for not being crazy like them. It is a lot harder to see how our own thinking, it, mm-hmm. you know, it may not be anywhere near as crazy as QAnon or pizzagate or whatever but 
I, um, I guess I strongly feel that everybody has the ability to make these these cognitive errors and, and slip into that kind of, of thinking um, to one degree or another. It's a continuum. Um, so I mm. think my advice for everyone is to, yes, it's very satisfying and easy to look across the other side of the argument and look at all of the cognitive errors and you know biases and so on that, that, that those guys are making. It's a lot more difficult to focus that lens on ourselves and our friends and maybe spot some of those dynamics that might be happening with us. So, so I think those three features are a helpful guide. First of all, just be wary of, of grand narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the world is confusing. And as you said, it's, it's ultimately, there's, there's a void underneath it all and we have to <laughs> deal with that. Um, the other aspect is to a- avoid this kind of Manichaean worldview where, where there is good guys and bad guys. Um, like it would be very weird if like half the American population that is on the right wing uh, were susceptible to, you know, we're basically evil and malevolent and driven by delusion and that all the good guys were on the other side of the aisle. That would be, that is unreasonable. Um, and the third thing that I'd suggest we try to watch out for is is to be careful about the attraction to, that there's this sort of hidden world that, that it's always very appealing to have that feeling that, that we're drawing aside the curtain and, and seeing these things that are really going on underneath the surface. Um, uh, these, these, these secret forces, um, that's, right. that's an appealing thing to do. And, and I think, and it gives us a good feeling that of, of being privy to a kind of a special um, view of the world when, often you know it's better to just apply occam's razor and sometimes things are bad just because the world is a bit of a chaotic mess and um there isn't really um secret forces um occurring underneath the surface Mm -hmm. so i think i i fairly strongly agree with you on one and three there where i support rejection of totalizing narratives for the most part and i support um the uh, rejection of the kind of broad they in the shadows kinds of conspiracy theories that often underlie and in your as you point out are functional in allowing people to set up a permission structure to dismiss information that they just don't like or conflicts with their biases and I, I generally agree with you sort of so the middle one the second one about the Manichaeanism it, that's the one where I, I think I think there's a, a really difficult tension where it's not as cut and dry I feel like because I want to say yes it is true that a we shouldn't demonize other people I you know have firm beliefs about luck and everyone being the product of it and all those sorts of things and at the same time there is I think a reasonable concern that in giving deference to that fact the tension that that fact is in is with the other view that look there are asymmetries between the situations that we're talking about here and there are cases where yes it's not true that every trump supporter is a literal demon but there's a very strong element of trumpism which is i want to see the people who i think have wronged me be hurt in a in a like fairly primitive kind of way in a like 
watching them get trolled and their tears and lib tears and stuff kind of way. Um, and, and like, I'm not saying that there isn't that that hasn't come about on the left as well um, in various areas. And like polarization is difficult because I think once the spiral of polarization begins, everybody gets sucked into it. And then it's very hard to disentangle sort of symptoms and causes in a kind of sense. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, we need to like recognize like the historical historic causes behind things like the uh, the southern strategy on the right leading to increased resistance to various kinds of equality, which we are seeing now playing out um, today culturally. So all of that is just a big, a big way to say, like, I, I agree with you and also feel like this other element has to be balanced with that somehow. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. And that's that's a helpful clarification, because I think one interpretation of what I said could be that there's this kind of there's always this sort of moral equivalence and that, you know, there's sort of um, this uh, both sides of ism, essentially that, you know, and um, um, there's a little bit of truth in everything and, and so on. I that's so I don't want to give that impression. I mean, you know, even just statistically, there, there is um, there is there is far more um, conspiracy ideation going on, on on the right side of politics than on the left, mm -hmm. uh, for instance. So, so yeah, so I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's this perfect symmetry at all. Mm -hmm. And there is, at, at bottom, um, some accurate view of the world. Like, ultimately, um, you know, if we could experiment with... How with, with dare you? Sort of, How um... dare you suggest there's objective <laughs> truth on my show? <laughs> Um, okay, well, oh, the uh, given. Um, oh, I mean, take a shower. Um, no, I, I, I agree with you. I believe yeah. there is objective truth. I'm not. I'm. I just. Yeah. You know, that was that was a naked uh, anti-postmodernist slur, and I just wanted to call you on it. Uh, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um. So I was just going to say something like, um, like you know, if if we could run multiple worlds, you know, do an experiment mm -hmm. with with, with um, and compare counterfactuals, then. You know, and you you ran one where, say, the United States offered, um, you know, um, healthcare and education um, free um, or um, government funded, and then the other one, uh, this other experiment condition, um, they they didn't. Then, ultimately, one would work. One of those scenarios would result in better health and well-being, mm -hmm. and um, for for Americans, mm -hmm. right? So, so in principle, there it's. It, uh, um, the, there is there are, there are rights and wrongs even if we can't be very certain about them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, now I'm just I'm what I'm doing is is sort of stepping aside from my own political um, views, which I'm, I'm glad to talk about as well, and just sort of adopting that mode of that sort of self reflection mode, where one sort of uh, checks oneself, I suppose, to 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 try to to try to keep our thinking careful and. Um, and not letting ourselves get deluded by what we want to believe. Yeah, so I'm curious actually, when I use the word cult unironically, um, what I usually am referring to is the kind of information isolationist style sort of criteria for culthood where the person is, is sort of separated from people who could help them and sort of isolated from information that could, that could conflict with their views and such. And I'm curious, in, on that kind of approach to culting, do you feel like there's really much difference really between cults and conspiracy theories or are these sort of synonymous? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. There, there are definitely correspondences there. 
So one of the correspondences is that um, a strong feature of cults is that they consider themselves and their small group of adherents to be privileged in the sense that they have seen the light and have access to the truth and they strongly contrast themselves with the broader the uh, broader society um, which is you know morally impure and um, deluded and and and, uh, and, and so mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. so there's a real satisfaction that they get from being the people who are enlightened um, if if anyone's seen those documentaries on the um Oh, what's what's that Baptist church? First Baptist church. Uh, which one? Um, oh, the, the uh, um, uh, West Westboro. Rome. Yeah. So if, if anyone's seen those documentaries, you'll you'll see that sort of um, sense expressed pretty well there. So so that same thing is going on with with conspiracy theories as well. Um, obviously, cults tend to be more organised. Like they actually have a sort of an organisational structure mm-hmm. and um, a leader and some, you know, they might refer to some 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 scripture or something like that so they they're more structured whereas a conspiracy theory is is much more organic it doesn't have a leader it's just a a loose kind of i mean usually doesn't have a leader um um, it it, it's a much looser kind of organizational structure i was just thinking maybe maybe the way to characterize this is that like all cults or 99 percent of cults involve conspiracy theories because usually they use those conspiracy theories to in, in, reinforce their isolationist worldview and then like but on the other hand you can have conspiracy theories that aren't currently being you know assigned to a specific cult and so nobody's currently mongering that particular conspiracy theory in an organized kind of way yep yep that's a really accurate way to put it that's right cults almost always incorporate conspiratorial aspects but um, yeah, conspiracy theories are a little bit are a little bit broader. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, um, you know, they're the sort of um, the same kind of people who tend to believe in conspiracies or join cults mm-hmm. um, tend to believe in um, the the paranormal. Um, um, and um, I think there's that great attraction to that um, that that hidden world. Mm-hmm. That there's a there's a mysterious there are there are mysterious non material uh, forces at work, um, which which can make the world more understandable and and give us a sense perhaps of of control Mm -hmm. over that world even if that's just being even if that control is only through sort of a greater awareness but it it can often take take the form of of some kind of rituals and so on i mean i've got an interesting story actually back when i was um a very young person i think i was 15 or 16 my we were total nerds of course and um my friend and i we, we bought a box from of of runes and, hmm. and um these nordic runes mm-hmm. right um on these these little fake stone things or whatever and, and it came with instruction manuals and so on and we thought this was just fascinating mm. you know we th- it was it was intriguing you know it was full of all of this um mysterious information and a lot of complexity it was very appealing to us um and you know you could cast these runes if i remember correctly and you could find out things about the future or find out about your personality and the, the usual kind of sure. thing, I guess. Um, so, so, you know, I still remember now how appealing and intriguing that was. Um, and uh, we, we, were, we got into it for maybe, we probably lasted about two weeks or two or three weeks. And th- but this progressive feeling, I, there was this really annoying, niggling <laughs> little voice in my head, which was, Sort of saying, "Hang on, mm-hmm. <laughs> is this, does it does this really make sense?" And eventually, I, I, I like the T-shirt says, "I, I wanted to believe right. because believing would have been an awful lot of fun." Um, but ultimately, I, I couldn't ignore that 
little that little skeptical voice. Um, so it, it it ruined the fun. It means we had to kind of throw it in the bin because this is a waste of time. So, you know, I think that's that's just you know it's a fun story, but it, mm-hmm. it's um it's a good illustration of that conflict between your sort of psychological needs mm-hmm. and this sort of very dry, boring, uh, analytical voice in your head, which actually is doing things like testing for logical coherence and mm-hmm. and plausibility with respect to the uh, empirical world. Yeah, and I think you're right that we all are in this in, in different kinds of ways. So I think you can see elements of this wanting to believe in like scientism, for example, where people are sort of so committed to this, you know, the quote unquote scientific method that like they're confident that it can solve all problems or that like any critiques of it are, are harmful in some particular kinds of ways. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I am uh, sympathetic to that. I'm curious, like given that we all are all maybe on the spectrum in some kind of way, do you think that we should maybe stop calling these things conspiracy theories? Do you worry that there's a blowback, like the blowback effect is reinforced by explicitly calling it that? Or do you think that it's important that we accurately label them as conspiracy theories, even if that means that certain people who believe in them will not listen to us as a result? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, actually I might just take that that first comment you made at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is that that um, in relation to scientism and mm-hmm. so on, and I have I have a lot of sympathy for that as well. Um, um, uh, Stuart Ritchie, for instance, has has looked at all of the sort of um, incentives and sociological ways in which science can and does go wrong. Um, um, you had um, Liam Bright on, who also mm-hmm. focuses on that kind of thing, and and these guys are totally right. You know, that's you know, it's a it's a it's a messy, flawed enterprise that happens in the context of of just of human beings and all of the terrible incentive systems that are going on. So, um, and yet it can, it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist, I have a fair bit of faith in it, but, um, you know, skepticism towards it is good as well. Um, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the um, um, stuff around um, race and IQ and sure. so on. And there is a, there is definitely, <laughs> there's definitely a stream in, among I would say relatively few, but some um, scientific type practitioners and a much larger base of people who want to hear that kind of message, mm-hmm. which is that if you can go through the forms, you know, follow the follow, if you make it if you make your story appear sciencey in various ways, um, mm-hmm. then it gives you this imprimatur of infallibility and allows you to to um, sort of have your cake and eat it too in terms of you can uh-huh. be fully committed to the evidence and science and also have all of your priors spoken to in exactly the way you want them. So I feel like this really catches us in this like 22 catch 22 situation, right? Where, you know, we want to be critical of over-reliance on the scientific method. And so like postmodernism and things like that are critical of the modernist approach and like there's value to that, but you could also argue that it opens up a lot more space for, these conspiracy theories to kind of run free and wild a little bit. And so it seems very difficult. Like, is there a way to be genuinely openly critical about the limits of science without having that honesty be weaponized as a sort of springboard into any kind of conspiracy theory that anybody wants to sell? Or or is that just like too fine grained a point and we're always going to be dealing with this give and take between these different groups? 
Look, I don't think there's any magic mm-hmm. wand um, because we're we're just fundamentally all flawed <laughs> and <laughs> we all have... We all have the original sin of bias. Self. Is that what you're saying? We we do so. How can how can a how can a biased, flawed, irrational creature tell that they've been just flawed fallen, and biased and irrational? Fallen right? world. Um, <laughs> so, but look, I mean, I think I think it's important. So, look, I'm, I'm a moderate, I suppose. So, look, um, science can and does go wrong. It does get influenced by all kinds of nefarious interests. Drug companies um, um, have influence on the um, the research they fund. In my area too, I've had the um, industry pay for sciencey uh, reports that attempt to um, discredit my research because it challenges their business interests. Um, I've seen um, look, I, I won't go on, but I've I've seen untold instances uh-huh. of of it not working great. But I mean, I think in the main, it's I think it's it does it has it does work reasonably well in that as long as there's enough people you can sort of play the law of averages there, there, there will always be this sort of um, corruption going on and people becoming self deluded and so on but as long as there's um, a, 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 a large group of other people who are being critical of them mm. um, and then you can sort of play the play the numbers and I so I so I guess I have a fair bit of faith in that self correcting um, mechanism so you know, in fields like social psychology, where we've had these replication crises and so on, and we've seen mm-hmm. how things can go quite wrong for quite a long time without people spotting it. But, um, you know, the good thing is, is that people do spot it eventually. Eventually, the, the skeptics come along and say, look, I'm just going to check that. And then suddenly the whole thing unravels. And um, so, look, I'm an optimist. I, I sort of have a little bit of faith that um, via a continual process of rigor and skepticism we we won't go too far wrong or at least not too far long for too long mm-hmm. so i'm sympathetic and i'm also nervous about how that mechanism is being undercut by modern technology especially the internet that like so so in order for that system to function properly um, I worry, you know, that human beings are so inundated with information that we can't fact check that it's fairly impossible for us as individuals to really function unless it seems like unless there's some substantial amount of regulation about the way that people are re- required or allowed to present their information on the Internet. Um, I'm curious what you think about yeah. that sort of thing. Do you feel like we are in an age where we need to be more... Uh, you know, as difficult as it may be, more thoughtful about uh, at least, if nothing else, at least requiring people to have banners on their sites that say, you know, this is an anti-vaxxer website, not a, you know, XYZ website that secretly pushes anti-vaxxer behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, so in terms of where I generally come from, I'm like a lot of people, I'm against censorship. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like the thought of it. Um, I don't like the idea that um, large companies like Amazon or Google, uh, Google or whoever are the ones who um, are kind of making decisions about what sort of filters sort of go on in terms of um, information sharing on the internet. Mm-hmm. However, um, so that's my strong prior, I suppose. I've got that. Um, but, I mean, you know, I think that the internet has put us into a new space where there is we are just awash with so much information. It provides just unlimited scope for, for self-delusion. 
Um, so uh, through you know, forming these closed communities, um, um, sharing false information, and for just a, a normal person, an everyday person who, who dips into the infosphere casually, mm -hmm. They, it's getting to the point where they have almost no chance of, <laughs> of accessing um, good um, information about the mm -hmm. world. Um, so I'm coming around to the idea that something should be done in terms of trying to improve the quality of information that is available on the internet. So yeah um i've just i'm not entirely sure about the best way to get yeah. it done but um but i'm increasingly open to the idea you're not yet in the land of cancel culture but you can see it without aid is what you're saying <laughs> yeah i mean look i didn't i didn't cry myself to sleep when alex jones was chucked off uh, i think that's a really really reasonable baseline by which to measure views <laughs> on this particular subject um so <laughs> we're getting we're a little short on time here i'm curious few final things to help people in their engagement on these kinds of issues are there any like major misconceptions that you feel like people have about either anti-vaxxers or conspiracy theorists more broadly that you see like people often throwing out certain comments that make you cringe where you feel like if they just understood a little better they could be more effective engaging with those individuals oh, i guess my only comment there kind of relates to your other question which i forgot to answer i'm sorry which was the um, um okay, regarding <laughs> Um, labeling and whether there's any sort of downside and kind of um, labeling this stuff conspiracy theories because um, I think that kind of you know when we think about conspiracy theories we tend to think of the most extreme egregious examples um, but I, I guess my suggestion for everyone is to you know those certainly exist but um, I think we should be more sympathetic. We, we need we, first. We need to be sympathetic to people who are somewhat engaged with a, that kind of um, a, a worldview that's a little bit self-referential and self-justifying, um, and also realize that it's it's not just these crazy people over there that you know all of us are susceptible to mm -hmm. it in in milder forms. And yeah, I, I haven't I haven't figured out a program of action, but I. Um, I definitely, I definitely think it would be a bet the world would be a better place if we, if we um, got better at recognizing conspiracy theories in their milder forms, mm -hmm. and also, I don't know, try to try to find. I mean, I should. I don't think we should be accusing people. You know, I, I, I think you're aware of the sort of um, online discourse mm -hmm. where when people don't agree with you, then you, you you accuse them of all kinds of cognitive biases and so on. Sure. Um, we need to try to avoid that as well. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I'm not quite sure of the answer. I, perhaps it's just to be to try to be self-reflective um, and and to challenge ourselves, um, you know, partly by talking reasonably to people who don't agree with our worldview in some way, shape, or form, and just trying to look at it from their point of view. I mean, I've found some of the best conversations I've had have been on, on online have been with people who, um, you, you know, just have a fundamentally different worldview from myself, but. Um, in talking to them in a in a in a friendly kind of way, mm -hmm. I realize that they're 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 not they might believe some things that I just can't understand how someone could think that, for instance, um, being being full on about you know um, guns, for instance. Sure. Um, that's just something I personally um, can't understand or find it difficult to understand. But in in spending time talking to them and understanding the their, their reasoning, I 
I suppose I, you know, it, it, it gives you an appreciation that there are other ways to look at the world um, and that, yeah, I, I guess it, it can give you some empathy mm-hmm. for, for, for different. Mm. Yeah, I think what works as best of anything that can for me is always coming back to the luck stuff epistemically and, and like, because I think a lot of what you see is people get in over their heads and part of them, they know that they're like in too deep, but there's a lot of embarrassment to say, you know, I got sucked into this thing way too far. Um, but I think if you can see it as, oh, I just had bad luck and just ended up in a bad place on this one, it, it feels less embarrassing to then walk it back some. So I think like speaking for myself personally, um, you know, in engaging with the woke, anti-woke stuff and trying to figure out like where the line is for a reasonable social justice position, it can be easy sometimes to like feel like, oh, did I end up defending you know something that seemed a little far beyond the pale just because i couldn't quite tell if it was reasonable or unreasonable and then like sort of sliding back from there a little bit without you know hopefully without it being the sort of thing where then a bunch of people try to use that as a cudgel against you because that's like the also problem is you know we, we don't make a lot of space for people to say oh i got you know snookered in this kind of way um we we tend mm. to hold it against them forever yeah, there's that there's that dynamic where if you can if one concedes the smallest point, then and say, well, it's kind of okay about that detail. I was perhaps not quite right about that one. Then it's it's um it's treated as as a victory by which you've you've completely undercut your entire position. So people don't mm-hmm. want to give up even a little bit of ground. And and yeah, speaking for myself too, especially early on, you know, I think um, um, engaging with these discussions. Um, I, I found myself getting carried away more towards the sort of anti-woke kind of thing mm. um, and getting suckered in by a lot of the, you know, the sort of outrage type, type clickbaity mm-hmm. um, material that is shared. And, you know, it takes an, an effort of will to kind of pull back from that and say, um, hang on, <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is not, this is an exaggerated kind of um, distorted mirror um, that is being applied here. And yes, there may be, you know, some degree of truth in some of it, but there's also, it, it's also a caricature and um, um, a sort of a flattening uh, position as well. So, yeah, so uh, look, I'm a, I'm a moderate at heart, I think. So I, I think, I think I just encourage everyone to become more moderate. I think I'm a, for, <laughs> for being a Discordian, I think I'm pretty moderate. Uh, so yeah, I think that was a really, really, really well put. And so I think we should leave it there and I can move on to the point where I get to torture you. Um, so you are familiar enough with the show to know what's coming for folks who are not. Uh, this is the enlightening (laughs) round. Enlightenment comes from within. I am now going to list a set of things and you are going to tell me, are those things real or not real? Those are your only options. All right. You cannot hedge. Mm-hmm. I, There's no mm-hmm. explaining. There's no defining. Oh. So I can't even make a comment at nope. the beginning? Nope. Uh, oh. All you can do is all answer right. my question. Are, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Is anything real? Yes. Okay. Let's find out what's real. Is the external world real? Yes. Okay. Are colors real? Yes. Is phenomenal consciousness real? <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I think I do. Your inner world of experience. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Okay. 
is free will real? Hmm. No. Okay. Selves or persons? Yes. Genders? Yes. Races? Uh, um, okay, no. <laughs> Species? Yes. Morality? Hmm. Yes. Rights? No. Knowledge? Yes. God or gods? No. Society? Yes. Money? Yes. Numbers? Hmm. <laughs> 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 I'm going to say yes. Okay. It's a safe bet. Uh, fictional hmm. characters? No. Holes, as in a hole in the ground? Yes. Chairs? Yes. Sandwiches? Yes, definitely. Science? Yes. Natural laws? Yes. Beauty? Yes. Love? Yes. Causality? Yes. And finally, time? Yes. All right. You survived. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel like a positive kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're I, really I'm just... in the realist camp there, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like that I'm disagreeing with Liam pretty much entirely. I'm sure your canceling <laughs> will come in due time. <laughs> well, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you uh, chatting. Do you want to let folks know where they can find you and your podcast? Uh, sure. Um, on Twitter, I am um, known by the pseudonym Arthur C. Dent. And uh, with Chris Kavanagh, we are starting a new podcast, Decoding the Gurus, which um, that should be fun. Um, and that's about it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great show and it ties in beautifully with what we've been discussing here. It's clear, uh, pretty clear how you're implementing some of the things we've discussed in that material. So uh, I'm looking forward to more episodes on that one. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, have a good one. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. As always, I'd like to thank our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. We've got quite a few new patrons recently, so I'd like to thank Rambo Billy, Matthew Brown, former internet spaceship politician, Jess Abels, Luis Fernando Rodriguez, Nestor Buen, Intellectual Darkwave, Curdy, Rinthrin, uh, and Grant Godso. And as always, thanks to our $20 tier Duke patrons, blacknonbelievers.com, 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 Chad T., Jesse Rabinowitz, and Brenda Goodman, and our newest $20 patron, Patrick. Thank you very much. And most of all, all of the void thanks to our top tier patrons, Dave Maslich, the creepy eyes that stare at me from the void and our newest top patron big easy blasphemy thank you all so much if you'd like to support the show please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on podcast apps follow us on twitter at etv pod and if you notice a small void growing within you consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void 
Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus book club content. Most of all, and I cannot stress this enough, you are the void, and the void is you.